The scripture passage uh, we are looking at today is from the book of Numbers. But I'm going to be reading this uh, passage uh, a little bit later. Um, but before we start that, um, let us pause for a moment with a prayer and uh, turn to God for illumination. Good and merciful Father, Lord, you have given us uh, your word and your spirit to guide us and to lead us and to show us the true and right way and what your good and perfect will is. But Father, our hearts stumble and our minds get just too often confused. But Father, we turn to your word to teach us and to guide us. And Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us as well, Lord, to show us what you have revealed to us here, Lord, to illuminate our hearts and minds with your truth that we may hear, that we may read, and that we may understand your will for us. Father, bless this holy reading of your holy word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we're looking at uh, numbers, and we're continuing this story that I've been calling Forged in Faith. And that is how God makes his people. We're looking at the old stories of how when God first made his people, called Israel, and how looking at what he did then and what he's still doing in us today that make us into his people. And so today we're going to the book of Numbers. And I've got to confess that for the longest time I didn't read much about this book. And I think a lot of us get daunted when we look at Numbers. When we first open that book, and we see that it is list after list after list after list of people and genealogies. And we might turn to chapter 2 and see another list in chapter 3. The list still goes chapter 4. The list still goes on. And then maybe we flip to the end and we see the last chapter's got lists going still. And we think, well, it's called numbers. Maybe that's all this is. It's one big long list of people's names. And that is why we call it numbers. But the genealogy and the numbers only are at the first few chapters and the last few chapters. In the middle of the book of Numbers, you actually have quite a fascinating story. And in the Hebrew Bible, they don't call this book Numbers. They actually call it In the Wilderness. Because that's what this book is about. It's about the Israelite people as they traveled through the wilderness. And it was not a short trip. It was not a short trip in the wilderness. In fact, they were in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years. That's a long, a long trip. Now, if you're like me, when I heard that as a kid, I think our Sunday school teacher told us it took them 40 years to make it to the promised land. Or maybe one of mine told me they wandered for 40 years until they found the promised land. Now, I was older, I looked at a map, and I saw Egypt, and I saw Israel. I'm like, really? 40 years? Then they say, no, they wandered. So, I mean, do they get lost? They just walk in a circle for 40 years? I mean, I mean, I don't know. I've been lost before. And I know I hate asking for directions. But after about 30 years, I think I might be, hey, does somebody know the way to the promised land? I mean, anything. I'm ready now to finally ask for directions. But that's actually not what happened to the Israelite people. They weren't lost. They weren't just wandering around for no reason. And it didn't take them 40 years to make it into the promised land. They were walking in the desert, in the wilderness, 40 years because God made them do it. 
reason they had to walk for 40 years is because they were not ready to go into the promised land. They were not ready to be the people that God had called them to be. And it took 40 years of wandering until they were ready to enter into what God called his promised land. Now, I love this story about the wilderness because it illustrates this great moment of faith. It illustrates our journey of faith. And we don't walk necessarily through a physical, geographical wilderness, but we do often find ourselves in a spiritual wilderness. Now, many times, a lot of times in our life of faith, it, it, faith is just, it's, it's a celebration. It feels great. We feel the touch of God. We feel his love in us. We feel his strength. And it's like that song says, based on Isaiah, we can fly on eagle's wings. And oh man, we're just soaring around and we're feeling good and we feel God uplifting us and we feel blessed and we're like, oh man, this is great. I gotta say, there's sometimes in our faith where it doesn't feel so great. God doesn't feel close. In fact, God feels distant. Sometimes we, we get to a point in our faith where we're praying and we're starting to wonder, is, is God really hearing this? Because he doesn't feel as close to me as he used to. Did I do something wrong? Did I make a wrong turn somewhere in my faith? We get those times in our faith journey where we're not flying high on eagle's wings. We're trudging on the ground. Step by painful step. And we don't feel blessed at all. We feel this burden of being in the wilderness. That's what we call these times of spiritual drought, of spiritual, the times we feel like we're spiritually empty, seeking and searching. We call it being in the wilderness because that's what it feels like. It feels like we're in the wilderness. It feels like we're wandering and that we're lost, that we've got no direction and we're just going in circles over and over again. And I got to say, I don't like these moments. I really don't. But these are necessary times. These are actually critical moments in God forging us into being his people. Because just like the Israelites, when they first came out of Egypt, they were not quite ready to be God's people and to live in his promised land. Sometimes we too are not ready to live in and receive the full blessing and favor that God desires to give us. So if you remember the, the story so far, okay, it all started with Abraham and a promise. And then eventually the Israelites went to go live into Egypt. Then eventually a Pharaoh who became afraid of the Israelite people made them into slaves. And the Israelites were slaves for many, many years, possibly even hundreds of years. We're not sure exactly how long they were slaves, but we know that it was generation after generation that whole, whole generations of children were raised and we lived and grew old and they died all under the yoke of slavery. It was actually a very, very difficult time. And by the time God saved them, something had changed in their hearts. Something had changed in their minds. They had actually gotten used to being slaves. 
They had gotten completely used to being slaves. They had taken it on. They had adopted it. And it wasn't just a, a political slavery anymore. They had taken it into their hearts and minds. And they believed that they were nothing more than slaves. They have what you could call a slave mentality. Now, there is a, a more uh, modern word for that. We call it institutionalized. And we see it ha happen sometimes with people who have spent long periods of time in prison. They have been so used to it. They have been so conditioned by being told what to do by the guards and then having things like their, their food and their shelter given to them that they actually have a hard time adapting to life outside of prison. They actually find it difficult to live as free people because they've been in prison for so long. And the same thing had happened to the Israelites, but it happened on this massive scale. They got this slave mentality. They had become institutionalized. They had been oppressed for so long. They had been slaves for so long. And, and, and a part of it wasn't just the oppression. It was having everything given to them. I mean, they, don't, don't get me wrong. They were in an awful, awful situation, but they didn't have to work. They didn't have to get their own food. They didn't have to get their own clothing, their own shelter. These things were given to them by their masters. But then they had also had their freedom and their own authority and initiative robbed for so long that they believed that now they were weak people, that they were unable to live as free people. They didn't have the power and the strength to go out there and live as free and independent people. They had a slave mind. They had a slave mentality. And we see this getting them into trouble over and over again. It brings them into conflict with Moses. It brings them into conflict with God. And part of it is they're not trusting God completely, but a huge part of it is they don't know how to be free. Because all they've known for generations is how to be slaves. And so God, he frees them. He hears them cry out. Finally, the slavery's gotten too much. The, the punishment and their turmoil and travail has gotten too much. God hears their cry, and he delivers them out of Egypt. He brings them through the Red Sea, parts the Red Sea. The Israelites walk on dry land. The Egyptians chase behind them. And God crashes the sea back down upon the Egyptians, thus freeing them. And then they go to Mount Sinai and they make a covenant with God. God says, I want you to be my people and I'm going to be your God. And all the people agree. They say, yes, we want to do that. Tell us how to be your people. And so Moses begins to go to the mountain and receive instruction from God to teach the Israelites how to be his people. And this is where we get to the book of Numbers. People begin to live in that wilderness and starting to try to live as free people. And it was a disaster. As soon as they get out in the wilderness, they start to grumble. Oh, we don't have any water. What are we going to do for water? They've forgotten how to find water. Oh, what are we going to do for food? We don't see any food out here. They've forgotten how to find their own food. These things have been given to them. Oh, we got all these dangerous people around us. How are we going to live? How are we going to survive? They've forgotten how to fight for themselves anymore. But God sees this, and so he provides for them. He even makes water come out of a rock. When they were hungry, he gives them this food called manna. It's actually quite fascinating. We don't even know quite what it is, but every morning when they woke up, there were these, there were these it was like coriander seeds all over the ground. These small seeds that they would grind up and they would make into these cakes or these wafers. And they got this every morning, food provided for them by God. And soonly, soon they got sick of eating manna. And they were like, oh, this is disgusting. We don't want to eat more manna. 
give us meat. God said, fine, I'm going to give you so much meat, it's going to stuff your ears with it. And he sends quail to fill the camp. And so they get to eat meat. And then Moses is up on the mountain getting commands. And the Israelites are like, he's taking too long. He's abandoned us. Our God is that we need to get a new God. Let's get a new God. And so they make a golden calf. And they start to worship the golden calf. God, of course, is upset. And he opens the earth out and he swallows all the people that were worshiping the golden calf. They continue on. And the Israelites grumble again, and they even start a rebellion. And God has to send poisonous snakes out into the camp in order to quell the rebellion. And they complain, and they rebel over and over again. It's at least ten times or more they rebel, and God tolerates. God forgives them until finally he loses his patience. He loses his patience, and the tipping point comes when they were supposed to conquer the promised land. See, the original plan was not for them to wander for 40 years. The original plan was them to go from Egypt, cross the Red Sea, get the law of God, make the covenant, and then go right there into the promised land and conquer it. That was God's plan. But as they get near the promised land, they decide to send some spies into the promised land to check it out, see what it looks like. And they send a bunch of spies, and the spies, they go into the land and it is everything that God has promised them. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's fertile. It's abundant. They said even the, the grapevines were so heavy. When they cut a piece off, it took two men to carry them. It was, it was so heavy with, with fruit. It was a perfect land. The only problem is there were people already there. They saw all the other people there. They had cities. They had walls. They had chariots. They had armies. And worst of all, they saw these people called the Anakim. And the Anakim are one of these strange, legendary uh, figures in the Bible. They were the descendants of giants. They were these giant people. They weren't all giant, but there were a few giants living in the land. And the spies were terrified. They said, we can't conquer this land. It's too strong for us. And so they went back and they told the people of Israel, there's no way we can do this. We can't. They're too strong. There's too many people. There's giants there. We can't conquer them. The only one that believed was Caleb. Caleb said, no, let's do it. God's on our side. Come on. Let's go. Let's conquer. But the people didn't listen to Caleb. They listened to the other spies. And they said, Lord, what have you done to us? You're going to send us into this promised land and we're going to get killed trying to, con trying to conquer it? You're just going to kill us, God. And at this point, he loses his patience. At this point, that is when God says, all right, all right, you want to do it that way, let's do it that way. I've had it with you. And this is where we get to our scripture passage, Numbers 14, uh, Numbers 14 verse 20. And this is what the Lord says after the people grumble and refuse to go conquer the promised land. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went. 
and his descendants shall possess it. Now, since the Amalekites and Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And of all your number, listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness, until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness." According to the number of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity. 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do to all this wicked generation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness, they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. Israel was not yet ready they were not ready to be the free people of God in their minds and in their hearts they were still slaves they were still dependent they still saw themselves as weak and they really couldn't believe that after all this time after being beaten down for so long that they were truly free before they could have confidence in being God's people, the old generation would have to die off. That old generation that grew up as slaves, who knew nothing but slavery, would have to die off, and it would take 40 years of wandering, but they would be remade, and they would be ready. And it took a wilderness to that old slave mind and that old slave heart would die off it would take a wilderness in 40 years until they believed that they were no longer under those old powers and under those old authorities it would take 40 years until they would be ready to be God's people and I gotta admit it doesn't sound like a lot of fun you read the book of Numbers and it's got some exciting stories in there, but it does not look like it was a great time to be one of God's people. It wasn't fun, but it was necessary. You know, we were slaves once too. Just like the Israelites, we come from a nation of slaves. But we ourselves were slaves to sin. And unfortunately, we also hang on to that old slave mentality. We hang on to that old slave way of thinking, and we think that that slave person, that's who we are. We think that sin person that we were, that that's who we are, that that's the way we were made. 
And that's the way that we were supposed to be. And we get that thinking that we're never strong enough to resist. That we're not really strong enough to be the people God wants us to be. And we hear his commands and we think there's no way we can do that because that's not me. I'm not this holy, righteous, good person that God wants me to be. I know who I am. And I'm a sinner. And God tells us these things to do and we think they're impossible. He says you can't lust in your heart. What are you talking about lust in my heart? What do you mean I can't do that? It happens automatically. I don't even think about it. I'm not strong enough for that. So that's your old slave mind talking. God's asking me to forgive people that have been awful to me, to turn the other cheek. You don't understand. You don't understand what was done to me. You don't understand how angry I am and how I was hurt. I can't just do that. That's your old slave mind talking again. You want to be charitable? You want me to give money away? You want to be generous to others? You don't know. I might not have enough for tomorrow, Lord. I can't do that. I'm too afraid. It's your slave mind talking again. And that's for the relatively easy stuff. What about when God tells us, I want you to go out there and stand up for right? When everybody, everybody you know is saying what is wrong. I want you to stand up against them and say what is right. What about when God wants us to go against the culture? What about when God wants us to swim against the tide, to stand up for truth and to stand up for justice when there's evil and lies being spoken all around us? What about when he wants to go to our enemies and to preach the good news of Jesus Christ? What about when he wants us to endure persecution for his sake and poverty and rejection and sickness? Now, God, you're asking me to fight giants. I'm not a giant. I'm just this little person. I'm too small to do, Lord, what you're asking me to do. That's your slave mentality talking again. That's your old masters. That's your old lives and your old selves. But you've been made different. Not just free. You've been made into the children of God. And that every single one of us Every single one of us, when we come to God, we come with some old beliefs, we come with old attitudes, and we come with a whole lot of bad habits. And He takes us just like we are. He accepts us. Stains and all, sins and all, He accepts us. But He doesn't leave us that way. Before we can really be His people, before we can really live in that greatness of his abundance and blessing, that old part of us has to die off. That part of us that it was a slave has to perish. So this new one, the one made by God, can come through. And to do that, we've got to walk through the wilderness. To do that, we have to wander sometimes in that spiritual wilderness where we're searching, where we're seeking, where we're reaching out to God. And here, here's where we learn to be His faithful people. Here's where we're toughened to be His faithful people. Here we are tempered and forged in faith to be the men and women that God has made us. Because it's here that that old self begins to die off and the new one emerges. Because we're made in the wilderness. Through tough times, 
through wandering, through wrestling with doubt, and through all that, holding fast to our faith. And these aren't hard times like going through money troubles or relationship troubles or even facing sickness. These are the hard times where, where, where spiritually we feel like we're at our lowest. Where spiritually we feel like we're lost and abandoned. And, and we look at those times and we feel like we're at our worst. But this is when God is making us the strongest. Because he's killing off that slave self. He's making you in a free child of God. How long does it take? As long as it needs to. For the Israelites, it took 40 years until that old slave generation was gone. But through what God did with them, they walked into the wilderness as slaves. And when they walked out, they walked out as a nation of free men and women. Friends, we can be so thankful that God never gives up on us. Even when His patience wears thin, He still works for our good. Even when it feels like He is at His most distant, that is when He is working the hardest on who we are. And to work on us just as long as He needs to giving us exactly what we need until that old slave self falls dead in the wilderness and we can enter his promise as the free children of God. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.